0: Robots Radio Games Lore Stories Community Just press play
1: When you
0: Come weary, traveler. Need a short rest? Oh, I see. They said you'd be showing up about now. Come on, through the portal. Best not keep the lore mistress and lore master waiting. You know how they get. Robots Radio presents The Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio and I will be your lore master for this episode. Ah, uh, this episode will be covering the deck of many things, the newest d and d release uh kind of it's only being released on d and d beyond right now because the physical copies are um all mucked up and and goofy and manufacturer defective, and so um they're going back to formula um much to the green goblin' chagrin, and they're going to make sure that these cards are cut um two size and to and to make sure that all the cuts cuts are all the cards are you know cut the same size and 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 all that good stuff, which you know, I'd I'd rather you have it done uh correctly than have it uh done on time and poorly. Um so we will cover the uh but like I said it's gonna be on D&D Beyond. Uh if you have pre-ordered the um, digital and physical bundle, you got early access to uh, the book of many things, which is um the one portion of the box set That is available on D&D Beyond. Uh, So in the first half of the episode, we will cover that. We'll talk about uh, the newest stuff in the new book. And in the second half of the episode, we'll be joined by special guest host, Sean. And we'll discuss the actual lore behind the deck of many things. So let's talk about the actual release, the box set itself. So uh, it is um, a throwback to the box sets of yore, which... Um, tickles my heart to no end. I love the old box sets. Um, I love the fact that other publishers are still creating them. Uh, in particular, like Free League does a lot of um, like starter sets in boxes and stuff. Uh, and I love that. I love the box sets. Um, uh, I can't say any more about it. So uh, in the, within the box set, you get uh, a physical deck of many things, which has been expanded from the usual 22 card set to a total of 66 unique cards. You also get an 80-page hardcover guidebook um like showcasing you how to use the cards um some of the um cool stuff that they've incorporated into the new uh, release to use the cards I mean they're not just um it's not just an item that you can use as far as in game you can actually use it for a lot of other stuff and um which we will discuss and I think they're pretty cool. Um, you also get a an actual book itself, a source book. That is the book of many things. That's what you can buy on D Beyond. That includes all your normal run-of-the-mill source book stuff, um, much like you know, like uh Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, uh Xanathar's Guide to Everything, sort of uh it's it's in that vein. And it's like I said, it's your standard size source book that uh the Wizards has been putting out. And so the the price point for this box set. Um and like, well like I said it, it comes in a in a in a in an actual box itself to to store the guidebook um uh, the 66 cards the um, the source book all that cool stuff um the price point for this is about $100 which uh let's just go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room that's a lot of dimp that's a lot of gp for um for essentially uh Uh, a a, a source book for essentially for a source book and an accessory, it seems like. Um, So you think about it like this, you know, like I said, you do get the 192 page source book, the book of many things. Um, So that's in and of itself, that costs what? Like about 60 bucks is what they usually run for, right? Uh, Manufacturers suggested retail price. And so that essentially means that you're paying $40 for the deck of many things, the 66 cards, and for the 80-page hardcover guidebook, which act, which has you know, lavishly illustrated art, um, it it looks beautiful from the photos I've seen. Again, like they haven't released the physical version, and they haven't, and I don't know when they will. Hopefully, sooner rather than later. Um, so you're essentially paying forty dollars for that. If that is not worth the price, in your opinion. Uh, then by all means, I would suggest just picking up the book of many things on D and Beyond if that's something that you want to have in your collection. I don't think they're going to um, release them separately. However, I think that's that's if you're going to want one or the other, you're going to have to get them both. Unfortunately, um, so yeah. So I and we'll discuss like whether or not it's worth the, the price point here at the end of the first half of the episode while we're discussing this. So sixty six cards. You got the twenty two original cards plus 44 new cards that are known as the deck of many more things. Uh, They are made with the intention to deck build. So you can include or not include whichever of the cards you want. If you think um, certain cards are too OP or too world-breaking or too campaign-breaking, you don't have to include them in your deck. If you want everything, if you want chaos to reign supreme, and you want all sixty six of them mamma jammas in there by all means do it uh again that there's that eighty page reference guide explaining each of the cards there are multiple uses and when I said that each card has or like the the deck is much more than just an in game um, mechanic to use, I'm talking about this so every card has uh has a place it has a person it has a monster or some other type of um like hazard. Uh, It has a treasure and it has a situation and these can be interpreted two different ways. So every card can be read in 10 different ways. And when you have at least nine of the cards spread out, you can have, you can essentially outline an adventure in a mechanic that they've created called the adventure spread. So at least nine of these cards, so you draw one and that's going to be your opening scene. So wherever the place whatever place is on that card, that's the opening scene for your card. And then you have an inciting event. you draw a second card. that's your inciting event. like you know opening scene, you're in a tavern. inciting event. a man rushes in talking about uh, orcs in uh, in the mountains above this above the town, above the village. you the third card is the journey to the adventure. The fourth card would be the entrance to the adventure. Then you have at least three challenge cards. And then finally, the adventure would end with a treasure card with a guardian on top of it. And you draw all of these cards one after the other. And you use whatever place, person, monster, treasure, situation, whatever is listed on that card is what would be the event or whatever would be the next part of your essentially random adventure, which I think is really cool. Uh, you know, there's something to be said about, um, you know, world building and having a story in place. Um, but sometimes you just want, you don't really want to have to write it out. You just want to play some D and D just want to roll some dice. And you're like, let's just leave it up to chance. Uh, this is essentially tables in deck form and we all know if you're, if you've been listening to the show yeah, for any stretch of time, you know, myself and especially Lore, Mrs. Mary, we love us some random tables. And this is essentially that sort of mechanic, but with a cool, fancy deck. And I think it's really cool. I really enjoy it. Uh, um, from what uh, I was watching, some of the videos that D&D has released, you know, concerning the concerning the new book and all that. And the one of the guys was talking about how he knew this was going to work because uh he was able because three three people drew cards the same cards and had but in different orders and had three completely wildly different adventures so again very cool as far as the deck itself uh like i said there are 22 cards you have the sage the sun the moon the star the comet the fates throne Key night gem Talons, the void flames puzzle uh, skull puzzle, which is uh used to be idiot uh Donjon ruin Uriel, rogue balance, fool, and jester now, like I mentioned earlier uh doesn't look like you're going to be able to purchase these separately um I think if you want the physical if you want the the physical book of many things and the physical deck of many things you're going to have to buy the the whole bundle, um, but there are one you can. There are two ways around this. Uh, you know, one you could get the the book of many things on D and D Beyond, and you could find many amazingly beautifully crafted deck of many things on websites like Etsy, uh, and or you could use a plain uh, deck of playing cards, which is what folks have been doing since the days of OD&D, of original D&D. So every card in the deck of many things, the, the original 22 uh, card set has its playing card corollary. Like, the, for example, the Sage is the Ace of Diamonds, and the Key is the Queen of Hearts, the, the King of Clubs is the Void, so on and so forth. And you can find that that list in the 5th edition DMG. Um, and, but and it gives you the description of you know what each card does. The thing about the Book of Many Things, though, is that it goes into further detail as to what every each card is capable of, what each card can do. So let's get into some of the new stuff in the Book of Many Things itself. So you've got character backgrounds. There are two new character backgrounds, uh, rewarded and ruined. And these two are diametrically opposed. These are characters who have undergone some kind of transformation due to a major twist of fate. It's either positive, which would be the rewarded character background, or it would be negative, which would be the ruined. And it also gives them a chance to maintain or change their fortunes. A Rewarded, would, uh, it grants proficiency in insight and persuasion. And it also includes fortunes favor for just a little bit of extra luck while ruined gives characters proficiency in stealth and survival. And additionally, it has the still-standing character feature, which can ensure their continued survival in tricky situations. There's only one feat included in the Book of Many Things, one new feat, rather, and it is the Cartomancer. It allows player characters to cast spells with a magical deck of cards, or to enhance those cards with magic somehow, uh, the player character must uh, either be, uh, you know, of a spellcasting uh, class, uh, or have um, or be using pact magic, which pact magic pretty much only applies to warlocks and in, in terms of official classes. Uh, but the spellcasting doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be a wizard or a sorcerer. Uh, can also apply to bards or clerics or even druids. So characters who take the Cartomancer feat are able to use this deck of cards, although it doesn't necessarily, I mean, we, it, there's a lot of talk about the deck of many things and all that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a deck of many things. In fact, I would argue that uh, such a, a powerful magical artifact probably shouldn't be used all willy-nilly, all william um as a as a weapon, essentially, <laughs> Um, but they use the deck of cards as an arcane focus and they can perform some basic sleight of hand tricks, um, which that not exclusive to the Cardomancer feat, but the effects are certainly expanded under that feat. Um, also they can em- uh, enhance a singular card with magic, hide it up their sleeve and then draw it later and cast that chosen spell as a bonus action, which is very cool, uh, would definitely require some strategy, some planning ahead of time, but I mean if you essentially can cast any spell that you know that, that you're able to cast normally in the midst of battle as a bonus action you know in the middle of your turn, I mean it could give the party a pretty big advantage. Uh, I mean, literally a trick up your sleeve, which I I love. I love the puns; I love it. they're fantastic. Um, you know, players um, can keep it to um, as an extra attack. They can uh, use it as a as a buff or a nerf, like in a, at a crucial moment in battle. Uh, it, I mean, as many spells as there are in D anD D, there are as many applications to that. And if Baldur's Gate Three has taught me anything, it's that the creativity of the d and d fan base is without question, without you know comparison, and so I would love to see what the players have you know what they can think of for using this particular feat uh there are some new spells, there's about fifty new magic items, there's about thirty five new monsters and there's some new spells. We'll talk uh, about a couple of the spells before we get to the middle of the show. Um, The spells, one of them is called Spirit of Death, which allows the caster to summon an avatar of death that will haunt an enemy of your choice, or of their choice, rather. Uh, uh, It has a similar effect to one of the cards in the deck of many things, which is a skull card, which pretty much does the same. Uh, An avatar of death will attack just the one target as if they're haunting them and so the players will have limited control over it. However, other characters aren't able to attack this avatar of death without suffering severe consequences, which includes possibly even summoning a death avatar of their own. Another spell is Antagonize, which allows the caster to create some kind of conflict between two people. It works sort of as the opposite way of charm, you know, the same way that charm allows you to, allows the caster to kind of force someone to be their friend or to be friendly toward them. You can use and uh, antagonize to cause two people to be unfriendly toward each other. Uh, you know, this can be used in combat to turn uh, enemy, or, you know, your, your enemies against each other. Ah, uh, you can be used it can be used in social situations to cause you know quarrels between rivals. Um, you know, or even just when the party needs to create some quick distraction so they can get by. I mean, this seems like a fantastic way to you try to sneak up to try to sneak past two guards. Of course, one of the party members is going to roll a seven on stealth. The guards hear you. You cast antagonize on the two guards, and all of a sudden, they're arguing over whether or not y'all should be there. And then you're able to sneak by again. Again, like one of those things, like the cardomancer feat, where the limits are essentially it's only limited by the player's imagination how this spell can be used. And so that's one of that's what I really love about D and D when mechanics like that, uh you know. Combine with imagination to create something really cool, but so to wrap everything up as far as the new release is concerned, you know we said I said at the beginning and at the top of the episode, it's a hundred bucks for the physical uh, for the physical copy, you get the sixty dollar you know source book one hundred and ninety two page source book, the book of many things, and then forty dollars essentially goes to the deck of many things and the eighty page reference book. Whether or not the $40 is worth that, you know, the the price is up to you. Um, I personally think the mechanics behind the adventure spread, like how you can use the deck to create a random adventure on the fly. I think that's really cool. And it's not anything that obviously you can't do on your own. You can homebrew everything that is released officially. You can homebrew on your own and and do it on your own and you know and and tweak and possibly make better um but if you you want to play the official version if you want the official versions of all this i say uh it's i i like it i am going to purchase the physical copy i'm getting the physical copy when it comes out but i can see how this wouldn't be for everyone i i can see how uh, there wouldn't be interest on from some you know um from some facets of the the d and d community, and I think that's fine. I think you know this is you know wizards kept touting this as something the a product like they've never they haven't released before for fifth edition, and I think um sort of that sort of branching out uh is is good for them, and so because of that, I don't think that it's going it's it's going to be a hit for everyone. I think for some people it's definitely going to be a miss. But if you think that this is the sort of thing that you would enjoy, then I think you will really enjoy it. However, if you aren't really interested in it, I don't think actually getting your hands on it, I don't think actually like rifling through it is going to change your mind. Unfortunately, but that's my opinion on it. Uh, Try to be as honest as possible. Um, You know, I, I, uh, I'm a mark for D and D. I'm I'm going to buy the stuff anyway, but. I'm really excited about this. Like I said, the adventure spread is a really cool mechanic, in my opinion. And we get a bunch of cool new lore, which we will discuss after the middle of the show.
0: Hey there, Dungeon Masters. Ever wished for a tool to
1: help design your worlds and campaigns? Introducing Epic World Builder, the app that turns those dreams into reality.
0: Craft intricate dungeons populated with creatures from the abyss,
1: or cities with secrets hidden around every corner. Join a community of dreamers and world builders sharing and exploring each other's creations. Create your free campaign today with EpicWorldBuilder.com. EpicWorldBuilder.com, where your world comes to life. Welcome to the middle of the show. Of course, the middle of the show is where we. Thank our listeners and thank our patrons. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting it. If you want to continue to support the show, you can continue listening, obviously. You can tell friends, coworkers, family members, anyone you think that would enjoy some juicy D&D deep lore dives. You can follow us on all the social medias. We are at D&D Lorecast pretty much everywhere. And you can be like one of our amazing patrons one of the fair folk of the Patreon over at patreon.com slash Uh, We have several different tiers all the way from uh, as low as five bucks all the way up to 75. You get uh, bonus content, you get merchandise, you get all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and you get to support the show, which is very cool, at least in my opinion. Um, so yeah, you can check it out. We got a bunch of cool stuff planned for the future of both the show And the uh, Patreon, a bunch of cool stuff that we have in the pipeline, like perhaps some actual plays. um, In addition to the same lore that you've come to expect and love from the Dungeons & Dragons lore cast. Additionally, in the middle of the show, we talk about uh, any D&D news. Uh, Really, the biggest bit of news is that the D&D channel is live, folks. The D&D channel, Dungeons & Dragons Adventures is now live on Amazon Freevee and on Plex. In fact, I am watching it on Plex right now. I'm watching it on my computer. I've got it downloaded. I've got the Plex app downloaded on my phone, watching it on there. Uh watching some old the uh, the old cartoon the from the from the 80s. Uh episode uh 7, Prison Without Walls. Uh and this is the the like the preview week. It's going to be I believe just just the the cartoon in the time being until it officially launches here on Tuesday. And then it will include the, uh, the actual play, the cooking show and all that fun stuff. And then I am, I'm very excited to see what the future holds for this, uh, for this TV, uh, for this free TV station um, channel, whatever, whatever it is, the the free ad supported uh, television channel. So um, yeah, so check it out, uh, watch some old D and D cartoons and, um, and, Give, shoot us some ideas, like some ideas, that uh, stuff that they should show on the channel. And as far as homebrew fun goes, we're going to take you over to kickstarter.com. Now, this Kickstarter only has about a week left to go. So if you're listening to this within the first week, you need to head over there now. I'm talking about Chronomancer's Guide to the Future Part 2. This is time travel and multiverse gaming for 5e tabletop role playing. So obviously, it's fully compatible with D&D 5th edition. Uh, It's the sequel to the first Chronomancer's Guide, again, obviously. Uh, And it was funded in under five hours. So the the regard that this title, that its creators have, uh, not in question. The first Chronomancer's Guide... Is fantastic. And so there shouldn't be any reason to believe that the second one won't be just as good. Time travel for fifth edition. Venture into the reweaved multiverse as a timekeeper for the spinning wheel. From their supermassive black hole encompassing space station orbiting the end of all existence, they now control the flow of time and space within your campaign. The Chronomancer's Guide to the Future, Part Two is the perfect way to introduce time travel to your D&D 5th Edition campaign. So inside this guide, you'll find an all-new 5e-compatible campaign setting designed to take your campaign into the future. Add it to the end of your world's timeline and be prepared to revisit history as the Time Wars turn the multiverse into a converged, anachronistic mess. You have character options, you have new villains, you have multiverse mechanics. And you could have all of this for about 20 bucks. The P- digital copy PDF for $20 gets you. It's hyperlinked, ready for adventuring. And of course, you can pledge higher than that, get physical copy copies of both part two and part one if you want that one as well. But definitely check it out. There is a link in the show notes. But this comes from Haggard Clint, who has worked on a ton of different stuff very well well respected within the community always has great content one of the collaborators in fact is also phil beckwith from pb publishing who um if you don't remember what is responsible for the haunt trilogy which we I we gave away a copy of that i believe a halloween about two years ago uh crit and myself so again a lot of cool people working on this project it looks amazing definitely check it out and definitely uh, support it if you can that being said, let's jump back to the lore. Ah! Welcome back, and we are joined by or uh, joined. Who are we joined with? We are joined like in matrimony. We are joined with. We are joined by. You're joined, joined by. Joined by. Okay. Yeah. That's... If we were joined,
0: if I was joined with you, it, it sounds like we're getting married. Why not? <clears throat> Polygamy is illegal. That's why you're already married.
1: Welcome back, and we are joined by special guest host Sean the Mammal Hamel. Uh, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a name that rhymes, nickname that rhymes one, which is always good, and then two, it's also factual. You are a mammal. You are a human he... being.
0: Accurate. Very like accurate. all the best nicknames, it rhymes, and it's factually accurate.
1: <laughs> all the best nicknames, like <laughs> Sid the Squid. Um, I assume he um, was a squid a man of some some type. So we are talking the uh, the deck of many things. In the first half, obviously, we discussed the the most recent release, and now we're going to get into the lore of it all. So of all artifacts to grace the world with their presence, perhaps none is more dangerous than the infamous... Deck of many things. It's usually found in a box, ornate or otherwise. Kind of like a um, what is that? Temple of Doom? They have to pick. Where they have to pick the chalice? That's not Temple of Doom. That's Raider. Is that Raiders or is that
0: where they pick the chalice? That's yeah. Last Crusade.
1: Is it Last Crusade? Man, that's a. I, yeah, because I,
0: they're looking for the the the. Oh my God! What is the name of that artifact?
1: <laughs> the, I was going to say the Goblin of Jesus. <laughs> The, uh, Indiana
0: Jones and the Goblet of Jesus.
1: I that's such a, that's such a good bit, and I so I didn't just, I didn't think it was the like, Holy Grail. The oh Holy my Grail. God! What's wrong with us? Um, that's a, that's such a good bit that I didn't attach it to the lesser of the three movies. That's fair. And I and I say I say I mean not to say that Last Crusade isn't great. It's it's a lot of fun, but I mean Raiders and Temple are by far much better. Agreed um so usually found in a box ornate or otherwise and the otherwise makes me think of like you know you have this uh, amazingly powerful object and I like, again what could amount to you know just a shabby box which is cool uh or a pouch uh but the deck of many things is also referred to as a, as a deck of hazards is a collection of magical cards uh, they can sometimes be made of vellum, which is D&D's equivalent of, of calf's hide, of like leather, essentially, uh, or ivory, or even some type of metallic plate. But regardless of their physical properties, they are also enchanted with great magic that is never meant to be used lightly, which means, of course, you know, players, PCs, they're gonna use them lightly, AF. They're gonna, right. I mean, if if I played my, I played a many, many an hour of D anD. d And player characters, by and large, are goofy little goofballs. <laughs> and when it comes to uh, world changing, uh, magical artifacts, you might as well. They might as well be um, uh, like. Marbles and jacks
0: in their pockets. Digit cubes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: so each card is engraved with glyphs, with characters, uh, sigils, or sigils. I've got too much, too much Planescape on my mind. Sigils, uh, <laughs> and as soon as one of these cards is drawn, it the magic that is you know in, that that is in, enhanced and in, ingrained into it, that it's enhanced with, is bestowed upon the person who drew it for better or for worse. Now, the the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide states that most of the decks, about three-fourths of them, to be exact, contain only 13 cards, while the remaining 25% contain 22. And now, obviously, the, the official physical deck that we covered in the first half uh, that, that comes from D&D contains 22. So whether or not this is just one of those um, 25% or if they're sort of retconning this to be, you know, more of the official number remains to be seen. Um, and I, and I do use the term official loosely because it is stated that there is no definitive version of the deck of many things.
0: So in universe, is there more than one deck of many things or is it a singular object?
1: Oh, there, there are many. Yeah. There, are, there are many deck of many things. And that gets into um the 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 lore of it all, the history of it all, so in the the deck of many things fifth edition box set, they have included a new origin story for the uh for the artifact so that that story is that Istis, who is the neutral goddess of fate and a greater deity from the Greyhawk setting, which is interesting because. After third edition, Greyhawk was kind of pushed to the wayside as far as campaign settings go. Um, in third edition, it was the official campaign setting; it was the de facto campaign setting. In books, you know, obviously you can set your stories and your campaigns in whatever universe that you want. But if you want to just use whatever was, you know, D anD D was using, then it was Greyhawk. And then they moved away from that in fourth edition and fifth edition, uh, using Forgotten Realms instead. So why did,
0: uh, why did they do that
1: forgotten realms has like way more um uh ip value in my opinion uh there are a lot more novels it's uh, it's in my opinion um because of characters like Dritz and because of the video games where they're set in um that's yeah i think that's where they felt um compelled to to go to oh okay but Greyhawk is Gary Gygax's original setting and so as a result you know it's, it's very much beloved and and very much you know has a, has a place in in many, many people's hearts including my own you know, like I I cut my teeth on third edition and so you know for, for as much as I love Forgotten Realms and as much as I um enjoy Ed Greenwood's work uh Greyhawk will always have a special place in my heart. Um so Istis the neutral goddess of fate reached up into the sky and began plucking down constellations of stars. And then she used these stars to then create the Deck of Many Things. And she did so as a way for someone to be able to rewrite their own fate. Which is interesting for the goddess of fate to um, sort of give that agency, the the agency that she To hand
0: out a cheat code. Essentially,
1: (laughs) which, and that's something that also- you, you see a lot of, and we'll, we'll touch on it here in a little bit when it comes to the deck of many things, is just the chaotic nature of it all. And how, because, uh, I mean, it's it's seemingly random. You could pull just about any card. You know, you, you you don't have no idea, you know, what fate will befall you, you know, good or bad. Uh, according to the lore in the Baldur's Gate 2 video game, the original decks of many things were created by the ancient Netherese Empire, and during this time, these cards, uh, known as Deck of Hazards, were just simply a collectible card game. It was basically <laughs> Magic: The Gathering, pretty much. Um, in competitive games, the cards were slightly enhanced with magic, but then after the fall of Netheril, the magic contained in surviving decks. Uh, steeped and swelled into the potent cards known across the realms for both their dangers and their possible beneficial effects. So, I, I mean, and maybe, and this is something that's also, um, and we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, let's talk about the the other another legend that we heard. Uh, many historians believed that uh, the artifact was originally a gift from a powerful and ancient archfey to a long-forgotten emperor. The archfey knew that the emperor was extremely uh, superstitious and could not resist reading his own fortunes using the cards. Some hold that the deck of many things responsible for shattering that ancient empire and giving rise to powerful warlords that vied for control of the remnants of what remained of the once-powerful kingdom. And so today the deck of many things passes from hand to hand, bringing the low to the mighty and elevating the meek and sometimes vice versa. So I like the fact that in, in the, in the new box set, they allow kind of all of these to be true at the same time, you can kind of create, you can create your own narrative as far as um, you know, what what has happened since Istis uh created it in to begin with? You know, right. perhaps she creates the Deck of Many Things and they they are used by the Netherese Empire as a as a Magic the Gathering <laughs> card game. Um only to, you know, um kind of fall into obscurity after the fall of that empire. And then perhaps uh an ancient Archfey then discovers them and, and gives it to to the emperor of a of another empire who then it's used to essentially destroy that kingdom.
0: I love the idea that it starts out as a playing card game, much like tarot decks, actually, you know, they started at, they were actually decks of playing cards before they were used to tell fortune. So I like the fact that D and D is sort of mimicking that uh, trajectory with the the deck of many things. I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. and, And for sure that, um, the deck of many things for sure has tons of inspiration from tarot decks in terms of the symbology, the imagery. A lot of that I feel is, uh, if not one for one, then definitely, you know, it's inspired by, you know, there, um, there are some whispers that the deck of many things is an intelligent artifact has a sentience, uh, has a will of its own. Those who believe this claim, uh, they think that the goals of the deck of many things are to one, sow chaos and discord throughout the world uh, two, to be present at events of great importance and then add a chaotic element to the proceedings uh, of those events to alter the fortunes of all involved. And three to finally topple the powerful leaders, good or evil and cause far spanning organizations to crumple. Very, uh, the
0: one ring kind of.
1: No, I mean, and it's it's very much uh, an agent of chaos. It, and if you believe that, then it's very much an agent of chaos in uh, the most traditional sense. You know, what
0: you, uh, yeah, what do you think of that idea? Like, what do you prefer? Do you like the idea of it as an agent of chaos or just as sort of an inanimate object that's just incredibly powerful, um, you know, without agency of its own?
1: Um, I think I think both are interesting, and I think both can be used, uh, depending on you know what type of story you want to tell. If Fair. you want um uh, if you want your players to have uh, more agency, then it's just a, a magical artifact, As it has it has a lot of power, but it has no sentience of its own of its own. It has no will of its own. Whereas um, if you want it to be more of a character in your campaign well then yeah it's it's trying to it's trying to um alter events or trying to um you know change events to its to its um uh, benefit or to to whatever you know uh for whatever goals or agenda it has
0: i don't know why but i think i prefer the idea that it doesn't have an agency of its own that it's just like like a bomb basically <laughs> um but that's just my own personal preference you know obviously um one of D D's great strengths is its flexibility. Um like oh, you said, right. four different Absolutely. narratives. But if I'm writing the book with the uh, uh deck of many things, it's definitely not um a sentient character. Just, just, just a Wizards of the Coast, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh just letting you know now.
1: So yeah, so those who do believe that the deck of many things, like I said, is is a sentient uh item or or being or has some kind of will of its own. Yeah, they believe it is it is an agent of chaos that um is subtle about its work and, and does that work uh through those who possess the item, who physically possess the item. Um they want to use its owner as its agent, making temptation its greatest weapon. And whenever the owner is contemplating a risky action, it might try to tempt its owner by providing signs. That it thinks that taking the risk would be a good idea, even if the chances of success are slim. The deck will never communicate overtly, but occasionally the top card of the deck might flip over on its own to reveal whether the deck is pleased or displeased. Now, when this happens, um, the whatever card is flipped over, it, you know whatever effect the card would have normally isn't triggered. It, it wouldn't so it's not like you pulling the card you you know you' flipping the card yourself right. and additionally, while the owner uh, or possessor is holding the deck, the character occasionally sees visions of multiple possible outcomes of any given action, showing the way luck can affect the outcome. So very much uh Dr. Strange in uh, whatever first Infinity War Infinity War I was going to say Endgame part 1
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean it basically is but basically yeah. <laughs> it is
1: so what's cool about the deck of many things is that it actually has its roots all the way back to original D&D all the way back to I think like 1975 1976 in the Greyhawk supplement so at this point you know it, the device is actually a pack of 18 parchment cards four of each kinds and two jokers. And so you're able to use playing cards to, you know, to approximate the deck of many things. So each of the uh, four in each kind is different. One half brings beneficial things. One half causes hurtful things. The person possessing such a deck may select cards from it four times or more if jokers are drawn and whatever is revealed by the card selected takes place. So, and then in original D&D, they don't have names for the cards. The only card that is named is Uriel. Uh, Everything else is just, you know, Ace of Hearts or King of Hearts, whatever it may be. So just a few examples of some of the effects that take place. So Ace of Hearts, the person who draws that card immediately gets 50,000 experience points. And uh, if you draw a King of Hearts, you gain uh, a magic item from the from the included table in the supplement of your choice. Uh, a jack of diamonds we, were you to draw that, you add one point to any ability score you wish. Um, so I mean obviously the 50,000 experience points pretty pretty large, especially if you are lower level, uh, then you probably jump up at least a couple levels, two or three based on that uh gaining a magic, a miscellaneous magic item of your uh of your choice also pretty cool probably not as game breaking as the fifty thousand x p uh and then a one point of uh to any ability score you wish uh again not you know obviously you wouldn't turn that down but something that isn't going to make or break your game uh but then there are some of those uh some of those detriments some of those um hurtful things that (laughs) they discuss uh were you to draw a king of clubs you lose your most prized magic item immediately
0: i wonder how does the manual and maybe you know maybe you don't uh actually tell you how to determine like are you just based basically depending on the player to be like "Yo, this is my most prized for sure
1: (laughs) This, this uh this uh dagger that lights up (laughs) <laughs> uh no i and that's the thing that i that all of this comes straight from the original supplement uh this get the the text in our notes and so there's it doesn't explicitly say like how to determine your most prized magic item i would guess um it would be uh by dm's discretion i mean mm-hmm. i mean if you are using a plus one sword as your weapon you could argue like well i mean that's that's what you use every right. single time we fight, so right. you're in combat. Uh, whereas uh, like if you have, happen to have a, a scroll of some a fireball that you just have in your pouch, like, well, I just want to give up this. Like, well, you, I'm pretty sure you forgot you had that up until you looked at <laughs> in your inventory, buddy. Um, And then the, uh, the uh, conversely, in Ace of Spades, you lose one experience level immediately. Damn. So you go from level... Forward to level three uh, and the king of spades uh, a lord with plus four armor shield and sword attacks you which is gnarly um, and you would think like well you know that's pretty cool we defeat them and then we can loot the body no all magic items disappear when attacker is defeated so you just have to fight this guy off and you get <laughs> nothing in return <laughs> I Uh oh Oh, go ahead no go no go ahead it's i mean and and that and the big thing about the deck things is, is is exactly how how game breaking it can be and how 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 it can immediately change a game with the flip of a card a single card
0: yeah well, I was gonna say i you know obviously you know a lot more about the game and the history of it than I do, but this i mean are the is the current deck the one that you just reviewed um this harsh in its negative impacts, or is this sort of a classic example of like old school d and d where it's like we will mess you up it
1: I don't know if it's as harsh because um the last example I wanted to bring up is the Queen of spades. You draw the Queen of Spades, it means immediate death with no saving throw. That is so messed up. <laughs> Which is absolutely bonkers, and I don't think anything gets as as brutal as that in the in the new deck. But I, I feel that there are reasonable, um, analogous sort of um, interpretations based on where the game is now and uh but yeah like there there are cards will or that you draw like the skull card uh you draw uh an agent of, of death essentially comes to attack you and you have to fight them off and then anyone who and you have to fight them off by yourself because anyone who uh attacks that anyone else who attacks them has an has possibly an agent of death like summoned to to them now
0: oh sorry. Okay, go ahead, Go. That's uh I you know, I mean, did did the players know what's in the deck? Like oh, do they uh, I mean, like do they have a reasonable expectation like this is a possibility? Oh no,
1: I mean, um I would say probably based on what um I mean, how the DM wants to run it if you want to um uh, say that, you know, the deck of many things is uh, one of those uh, urban legends or, or or just like legends in general that uh most people would know and you'd be, you know, at least have a passing familiarity with it and what the cards mean and what the cards could possibly do. Uh you could run it to where like you would need some sort of like history or arcana check to know exactly what would be in it. And if you fail that, then you have no idea. Um or you might play it as if the players have no idea what it is they just know that it's this magical item that somehow changes reality.
0: Yeah, I mean, well just because if I know that that queen of spades is a possibility, I'm not going to touch that deck. <laughs> like, I don't care what the well, possible positives are and that's I mean,
1: and that's the the fun of it. It's like uh like the building that tension when the next card has to be drawn. Um so in the original D&D and the Greyhawk supplement and the rules it goes on to further uh Give further rules in terms of like how to draw, discard, shuffle, all that. Uh, And it ends with a note that the referee or dungeon master, as they are now known as, may make up his own deck using the guidelines above. So even off, even from Jump Street, they're saying like, hey, if you want to do your own thing, go ahead. (laughs) And so essentially you could use... um, like the guidelines where you know each uh uh four of, uh four each of a kind uh two jokers and then one half rings is beneficial one half is not, and go from there uh eventually the cards become more codified uh named and uh named and expanded to twenty two uh in advanced dungeons and dragons and the set that we traditionally know as a deck of many things is put into place, and even through Third edition, though, playing playing card proxies are listed in order to allow players a physical component to represent the deck. And this continues on into fifth edition uh, for those who either um, opt for the digital version of the Book of Many Things that doesn't have the cards or just want to skip the release altogether. So you can continue using playing cards using um, the the guidelines in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, during the four E-days, fourth edition, you could actually print out copies of the cards, and that was included in an old issue of Dungeon Magazine, which I found that magazine. Uh, you can buy it on uh, drive-through RPG, or DM's Guild, uh, and then print them out yourself, which I, I think I just might just to have them. Why not?
0: That's fun. Yeah, why not?
1: So the 13-card deck, Included the sun, the moon, the star, throne, key, night, the void, flames, skull, ruin, rogue, jester, and of course the only named card at this time. The only uh, named card to begin with, Uriel.
0: And then should do the... a deck of many things breakfast cereal and those should be the marshmallow shapes. It's a lot of marshmallow shapes. It is, it is, but it... It would be a great tie-in. Especially it
1: would be nothing but uh well yeah, nothing but mushroom shapes. Uh <laughs> or nothing but uh um marshmallow shapes. Uh but then so then you add nine more when you expand it to twenty-two cards. Uh it added the Vizier, which is now known as the Sage in fifth edition. Uh Comet, the Fates, Gem, Talons, Donjon, Balance, Fool. And the idiot, which is now known as Puzzle. So some examples for and if you want to uh if you know you are unsure whether or not you want to buy the deck of many things, and you know, like I say, you can listen to the first half re-listen to the first half of this episode and get my opinion on all that. Um if you want to do that, by all means do so. If you want to still use the deck of many things without having to. You can check out the fifth edition Dungeon Master's Guide. It has loose guidelines uh, on how to incorporate it into your game, um, but the the new release kind of goes into more detail. Um, so, like the Donjon card, you know, in in the Dungeon Master's Guide, it just says that the uh, the person who draws the card is trapped in an extra dimensional prison. In the uh, the new release. It goes into further detail. I mean, it goes into further detail on all the cards. And For example, like the Donjon card, the player is imprisoned in this spherical prison known as the Donjon Sphere. And in order to rescue the PC, the party must use either a spelljammer ship or other means, um, and the other means are introduced in the book as well, uh, to be transported here into this extra-dimensional prison. Uh, the Void card... Um, the player's soul or life essence is separated from their physical body. In the new release, it actually actually goes deeper, so you must, the party must infiltrate the House of Cards, which is another sort of extra-dimensional dungeon in order to reconcile the affected PC soul or life essence to their body, while also dealing with a flesh-eating monster within.
0: That's pretty awesome.
1: I mean, it's the deck of many things is a very cool, very cool, um, very scary, (laughs) very scary item to include in your game. Um, This is for uh, for lovers of chaos, one hundred percent.
0: It it kind of reminds me of the uh, the cube and Hellraiser. You know how so? Well, just like that. Well, especially these last two cards, where you can end up in an extra dimensional prison. You know, depending on what you draw or how you play with it essentially for sure um, yeah,
1: makes sense, uh,
0: particularly in the 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 second Hellraiser movie where they actually end up in hell um, right. pursued by cenobites and whatnot. so um, you know, maybe it's a loose connection, I don't know, but when you say flesh eating monster, that's where my head goes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it goes straight to pinhead. I can't I can't follow you for that.
0: I got a one track mind. And that
1: track is Hellraiser. Hellraiser, baby. We love you, Clive Barker. Uh well, yeah, thank you so much for listening to the show. Sean, thank you for joining us again. And uh, you know, whether or not you pick up the deck of many things, I feel is a um it's a wholly personal decision. <laughs> I don't mean that in the <laughs> in the weird sense that it that it's that it feels like. Um like you know, to to re- reiterate from uh my my previous review from the first half of the show uh, it's it's a resource that is amazing if you feel the need to you or if you feel compelled to use it if you don't feel it you know the the mechanics and in, in what it brings to the table necessary to um to your to your adventures your campaigns that you run then by all means you can you can absolutely skip it uh, especially at the price point that it's at, you know, the physical copy with the the cards, and um and for all intents and purposes, the the while we haven't seen the physical version of of the set because uh, one it hasn't been released yet, and two it won't be released for who knows how long because of uh, manufacturing uh, hiccups. Uh, it looks beautiful. It looks absolutely beautiful. Um, but if you are more into uh, just the just give me the mechanics, just the facts, ma'am. Uh, that yeah continue using the guideline set in the in the dmg and use a use a deck of cards or you could buy go to go on etsy and buy any number of homebrew decks um for you know much cheaper than than a hundred dollars if that's if that's what you want to do is that what you want to do sean
0: i mean yeah probably a hundred bucks sounds pretty expensive it's uh it's
1: pricey for sure um yeah so again uh if you feel like you could use it, and it seems and it seems like something you would enjoy, then by all means, check it out. If you uh, have read what it's all about and don't really see a need for it, then it's probably not
0: for you to begin with. So,
1: anyway, thank you for listening once again. My name is Sergio.
0: My name is Sean.
1: Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your twenties be natural.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at D&D Lorecast. Or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll see you soon.
1: You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast.
0: Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.